Hey, Lebanon Christian Church family, uh, just wanted to connect with you. Um, I'm on vacation this week, and we've got a special uh, guest who's going to share from the Word with you. Uh, Tom Sears, his wife Kelly, their children have been coming to Lebanon Christian Church for uh, the better part of a year. And uh, Tom's a graduate of Johnson University. Uh, he has his Master's of Divinity from TCM International, the same graduate program that Kurt and I are both a part of. Uh, Tom's on staff at TCM, uh, one of our global partners who's making disciples all around the world. Uh, Tom has a heart for God, for King Jesus, and for his kingdom. And I'm excited for him to share with you today. So would you please welcome Tom Sears. First, I want to say thank you, Craig, uh, for that generous introduction. And as he mentioned, I work for TCM International Institute and have been on staff there for the past seven years. And I want to say thank you, everyone in this church. Uh, TCM has been partnered with Lebanon Christian Church since 1988 uh, through giving of finances and for praying uh, for our ministry. So thank you for giving generously to this church because this church gives generously to ministries like TCM. And I can tell you firsthand that the money that you give, whether it's um, from the tithe of the church that goes to missions or specifically to missions, that it is impacting people far, far, far beyond the walls of this church. So thank you. I also wanna say thank you on a more personal note. As Greg mentioned, my wife and family and I moved out here about a year ago now. And uh, because I knew Craig and Kurt through the connection of them being TCM students when we moved to Lebanon, I said, I'm not really sure what you know, church we might, we might land at, but I know the first one I'm gonna check out. And uh, we've, we've been here ever since. So thank you all. Um, I have a picture of my family right here. And uh, generally we're in the second row here during second service. We've had the privilege of meeting a good chunk of you. And we're just really excited uh, to get more connected and to meet all of you. So we look forward to that. And thank you for making Lebanon Christian Church and Lebanon in general moving out here very quickly feeling like home. Father in heaven, Lord, I wanna start just lifting up this time to you. Lord, I thank you for this wonderful time of worship we just had. Lord, thank you for this ability to participate in the Lord's Supper and to remember that it all comes back to the sacrifice of Jesus. So Lord, as we open our Bibles and we talk uh, this morning, we pray that we hear your voice and that the Holy Spirit move and work in power on each and every one of our hearts. And it's in your name we pray, amen. Spiritual disciplines. How does this term hit you? For some of you, it's like, oh yeah, those are the things I do every day. Maybe for some of you, it's like, oh, I don't, I don't really know. I uh, don't often see those words necessarily paired together. So I'm not sure. Maybe it's a tiny bit, maybe even off-putting. Maybe because of the word discipline, you know, it, it can be used in a negative way, right, in English. Uh, or maybe you've had a, a kind of a bad experience, you know, with the church or with spiritual disciplines, perhaps. Well, I'm excited to say that to starting now and to the rest of the year, Together as a church family, we're gonna to be diving into spiritual disciplines. 
And I was talking with Craig, and he's got several different sermon series planned out, all focusing and honing in on spiritual disciplines. That's a long time, and it's because Craig and the other leadership at LCC, we believe that these are so important. So I'm going to let Craig explain why he's excited about it and why he believes it's really important. But for the task at hand uh, this morning, I'm not going to dive into any of these very specifically, but rather to make the case that practicing spiritual disciplines lays the foundation for how we live out the mission of the church. I'm gonna say that again. I believe that the practicing of spiritual disciplines form the foundation of how we live out the mission of the church. And that's the mission of the church as the capital C global church, right? All Christians around the world. And it's also how we live out the mission of the lower C church, this church, Lebanon Christian Church. And so we're gonna dive into both of those two different things. And when we talk about the capital C church, our mission as a body of believers, we're gonna go through two probably pretty familiar passages to you. Okay, and the first one is in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, which we know as the Great Commission. Now, as you're uh, pulling out your Bibles and we have it on the screen too, I wanna start by asking you a question. How many of you from a young age knew what you wanted to be when you grew up? You can sh show me your hands. It doesn't mean that you're doing that now, but as a young age, you knew. Uh, oftentimes, you know, young boys, at least my two boys, they, anything with an emergency vehicle attached to it, you know, they want to be a fireman or a police officer. Those things are really cool. And I don't know, it might not be that. It might be a doctor, it might be a teacher, whatever it is for you. But from a young age, you kind of, you kind of knew on your heart what you wanted to do. That was me growing up. And I wanted to be a missionary. At the age of seven, I decided I want to be a missionary. And my, my dad was, on the, was the chairman of the missions team at our church in Fortville, Indiana, for a long time. And when we had missionaries that our church supported come and visit us uh, at our church, they often would stay at our house. And so, of course, around the dinner table or in the evenings, we'd hear stories from these missionaries about the amazing things God is doing around the world and oftentimes in cool and remote places. And uh, th that was always so exciting for me. And they became my heroes. And I remember one specific example when I was with a missionary woman named Jill Shaw. She was at our house. And I don't remember what, she was, what story she was saying, but I just remember thinking, I want to be a missionary. And I told her that. And so she took me to my bedroom where I had our, a globe, okay? And uh, she said, okay, Thomas, we're gonna, we're gonna pray that God shows you where he wants you to be a missionary. We're gonna spin the globe, put your finger down, and that's where he's gonna send you. So you can just imagine like how excited I am, right? Just decided I wanna be a missionary and now I'm gonna find out where I'm gonna live for the rest of my life. And we go in our room, we pray, close eyes, spin the globe, Boom, open them up right in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. It's like, okay, well, maybe we'd do it again or it didn't work, I don't know. But, and I honestly don't even remember how the rest of that day went. But for, the point is from a young age, I had that imprinted on my heart to be involved in missions. And thus kind of started my relationship with this passage. Because at least when I was growing up, I kind of associated this with like the missionary passage, right? Especially when it says like, go, and up until just about five or six years ago, I feel like I've been reading it totally wrong. 
And we're going to go through these next parts pretty quickly because Craig has actually preached on this, um, some of these similar points, not too long ago, since we've been here at this church. So we're going to go over it quickly, but I think it's important. And I sure wish I had Craig's sermon on this when I was growing up. But I think I'm a good American. I like to grab the bull by the horns and get things done. And I work on to-do lists. I don't know if any of you can relate with me in that, having to-do lists everywhere. And without really thinking it, subconsciously, I make this passage into my to-do list, okay? So I would say, okay, go. That's the first thing to do. Don't know where I'm going to go, but hopefully not in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, but we'll, we'll figure that out. Make disciples next. That's the next thing, okay? Baptizing them. Sounds like fun, okay? Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Not so fun, but, uh, you know, I have my to-do list now. And... <laughs> It took a while, but finally someone told me the power of the attendant circumstantial participle. Maybe that means to you as little as it did to me, you know, when I heard it. But about the word go, and hang in here with me, go really has this participle feeling in the Greek where it could be translated as, as you are going. Okay, then you go down to baptizing and teaching, and those are more true participles in the English language, right? They have the ing on the end of it. So really, when you read this, they become subpoints of making disciples. How do you make disciples? By baptizing them. How do you make disciples? By teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And so when you look at it this way, you see the only really true command, the strong command in this passage, the final thing that Jesus said right before he left. So it's got to be intentional. It's got to be important. The command is to make disciples. So there's good news and bad news. The good news is this passage isn't the missionary passage. It's for everybody. Wherever you're going, make disciples. The bad news is this passage is for everyone. None of us are excluded from that, right? None of us can say, oh, that's what the missionaries do. Oh, well, that's what the preacher on stage does. No, we're all called to make disciples, no matter where we're at, no matter where we're going, no matter what life circumstances throw in our way. And when we think about life circumstances, it's really easy to say, well, I'm not in that place yet where I can make disciples. You know, I've got a lot going on. And maybe it's because of a bad decision you've made that has, you know, put you in the place where you're in. Maybe it's a bad decision someone else has made that has put you in this hard situation. Maybe it's just the fallen world we live in based on a natural disaster or disease or something like that that makes it a little bit less ideal or a little bit messier to try to make disciples. And let's just be careful when we attach God's providence to our circumstances. I'll give you two examples. I have a friend who uh, became very addicted to drugs and he actually came through that and became a Christian. And we were talking about his past one day and he said, you know, Tom, I think that God wanted me to go through those things so that I can better relate to other people going through the, the same kind of stuff. Sounds pretty good, right? But after the conversation and later, I was kind of thinking about that in my head and was thinking, wait, did God want him to become a drug addict? The answer is no, but that's the power of redemption. And in every little fallen piece in this world, the broken piece that we see around us, God can redeem that and use it for his glory. Because it's true, he was using those times of him being a drug addict to better relate to other people. 
God can take anything that Satan meant for bad and he can turn it into good. And no matter what weird, hard circumstances you might be in in your life, I think it's time for us to look at this passage and say, God, how can you redeem this? Who are those around me? Where can I be responding to this message and making disciples? The second illustration is a, a story of a man named Sargez. He is TCM's first graduate from Iran. And if you know anything about Iran, not super friendly to Christians, uh, but he had a church in the capital city of Iran and he with the government kind of had this unspoken relationship with the church saying, okay, don't get too big, don't preach on the street, and, and, and it's, you can kind of continue on with what you're doing. So the government thought there'd be about two or 300 people at this church, but Sargas was bringing people to his church, different groups of people at different nights during the week, kind of masking the fact that he had about 2,000 members in his, in his church in the capital city of Iran. Now through... Sargaz taking TCM classes and he got to his graduation. He was able to fly to Austria where our main campus is. And on that trip, he got an email from one of his elders at his church that said, Sargaz, I'm so sorry, but there's a warrant out for your arrest. We don't think you should come home. So, wow, that rocked his world. And this happened about four or five years ago. And we were receiving some email updates from Sargas about everything. And you could just hear in the email, like you could feel the struggle that he was having in his heart about his calling to reach his own people and his life circumstances that where he found himself in at that time. And so the email updates kept coming in and he moved, him and his family moved to Armenia. I don't think he ever even went back to Iran, but went to Armenia uh, where they began meeting other people that were fleeing for religious persecution. And he ended up starting a church for Iranians and others from other neighboring countries that were also in the same kind of situation. He began ministering in a way that now he knew exactly <laughs> what those people were going through at that time. So my question is, you know, Sargez in his new church in Armenia, is he totally outside of God's will for his life? No, but God took his situation that Satan, I'm sure, meant for bad. And I'm so thankful for Sargas and his example of just keep going on and keep seeking the Lord because he could have given up, right? Oh, well, my mission in life is now ruined, so I guess I'm just gonna, you know, do whatever. No, he kept seeking the Lord and God is using him still in mighty ways to make disciples. Let's go on to the second piece of scripture that I want to go through today. This is what we know as the great commandment. And if you want to turn your Bibles, you can go to Matthew 22, 36 through 39. Again, many of you are probably familiar with this, but it's when the Pharisees were talking and they asked Jesus, he said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? The law, capital L law, meaning like the first five books of the Old Testament. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. I think it's interesting, two things. I'm not sure if Craig's mentioned this in a sermon that he's preached on about this, but when in the Jewish culture, when you say, 
your heart, soul, and mind, it doesn't necessarily mean those three things, but it means with everything. It's, it's like a phrase that represents totality. So in everything, love God and love others. And it's interesting too, I actually didn't really super notice this until I was reading this this morning. Uh, Jesus says, all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commands, right? The, the, the Pharisees only asked about the law, the first five books of the Bible. And it's almost like Jesus winking to the readers saying, okay, just in case you didn't think all of the Bible, <laughs> you know, was hung on these two commands, I'm gonna include the law and the prophets, which was of course all the scripture that they had at this time since the New Testament wasn't written yet. Don't you just love how simple Jesus makes things sometime? Because the Bible can be pretty overwhelming, right? Especially maybe for new Christians and especially when you're reading through the book of Leviticus, right? And you see all these different things and it's so easy to make this to-do list of all the different commands to follow and all the different ways to act and all the different verses and such. And it's like God looking down and say, bro, chill out. They're important, we're not throwing them out, but they all hang on these commandments to love God first and foremost and then to love others. Everything else will fall into place. And this filters how we operate our life. So we see these two key passages. And I want to talk about now, that's the capital C church. Everybody who, the Christians that have this Bible, they have this great commission, what they're supposed to be doing in this great commandment of how they're supposed to be living it out. Let's go to LCC's mission statement. We are devoted to loving God and others by helping people trust and follow Jesus. Look familiar? <laughs> Got loving God and loving others, the great commandment, by helping people trust and follow Jesus, the great commission. Now, I know that these, these verses might be very common to you, but let's just please stand with me here and have an open mind about both of them. And I really wanna hone in on the interplay between them both, okay? I have them both up here on the screen and I have the great commission above it, not because it's above the great commandment in importance, but I like in my mind, I see in pictures, I like seeing it above it because it's like that's what people see on the surface, it's like above the ground. People see what we do. People see the things that we're doing as we are going. People see us making disciples. And above the ground, undergirding everything we do above the ground is loving God and loving others, that great commandment. And you have to have them both, okay? It's not like you focus on one, then you focus on the other, then you go back and forth to the other things, but they are inextricably connected. Because when you have the great commission without the great commandment, there's no power in what you're doing. There's no life. There is no love. You have things where perhaps you see that one uh, street preacher yelling out, repent, repent, or burn. And, you know, even as a Christian, you know, I believe in a lot of the same things that that person probably believes, but it's still off-putting even to me. He's seeking the great commission, but without that loving heart and loving God and loving others first. And let that be in what brings the power. When we have the great commission without the great commandment, we're doing things. We're sharing the love of Jesus. We're telling people about Jesus. But unfortunately, people label Christians hypocrites. Why? Because maybe they are sharing their faith, but then they see that same person you know, slander someone else on Facebook 
for their political views or whatever, whatever the argument is. And, I mean, people aren't dumb. You know, they, you, you can see pretty quick if someone has an ulterior motive or if someone is coming with you with advice even, but they don't really love you. They don't really care about you. They haven't taken the time even to get to know you. So when we have the Great Commission without the Great Commandment, they're probably right that we are hypocritical in some ways when we do it like that. On the flip side, if you have the Great Commandment without the Great Commission, okay, you're convicted to love God and love others, and maybe that leads to, and it has to some people, by uh, you know, taking their Bible and retreating to the desert, becoming a monk, you know, and living alone, or at least living with other people in a monastery where they... they, they dive into God's word and they probably practice more spiritual disciplines than, than we ever will. And that's, that's so, there's so many things about that that are so admirable, right? That's so good. But yet when you're secluding yourself and you don't have the great commission, I mean, the fact is there's people dying every day around the world that have yet to hear even the name of Jesus. And I believe we're called through the great commission don't have to go to the ends of the earth, but as you're going to make disciples. At TCM, we talk and we teach a lot about that first thing, the great commission, right? We have courses on evangelism and preaching in the New Testament and all these different things that are very focused on the great commission. But our number one goal in every course that we have is that the students become more in love with Jesus at the end of the class than they were at the beginning because we know that the Great Commission without the undergirding of the Great Commandment will be hollow at best. Maybe, you know, you're not uh, gonna move to the desert and be a monk, but here in the United States, it's far too easy to get comfortable, especially in the Midwest. We're really not persecuted that much as Christians. And you can be loving to others, be loving to God, be in the word, kind of slice off your piece of paradise in a nice little you know, farmhouse in Lebanon, Indiana, and just turn into the, the good old boy you know, from Lebanon who never makes a ruckus, you know, always is kind with others, but maybe is around people that don't even know, you know he's a Christian or she's a Christian. Never takes that step in saying, God, I will be bold with my faith and those around me, I'll love them first but then I'll, I'll challenge them. I'll get into messy life with them in order to make disciples and obey the Great Commission. So we have these two passages. I believe form, it is the mission of the church. So where, where do we go from here? And there's probably so many sermons that have been preached, millions of sermons, I'm sure, preached on either or both of those passages. But I want to share just one thing that I really believe forms the foundation of how we live out our mission in the church. And just this simple statement is that disciple making starts with your relationship with the Father. Okay, all of your disciple making, great commission and great commandment, all of that starts with your relationship and is fueled by your relationship with the Father. The connection between the two are inseparable. There's an illustration that I got from Tim Keller that I've really hung on to. 
He said, you go and look at a tree. And let's, let's say any of us go out into the great parks we have in Indiana uh, or, or Memorial Park right here, and we look at the trees. How can you tell if the tree is alive? Well, it's got leaves on it, right? I mean, and especially in the middle of June, it's pretty easy to see if the tree's alive. It's green, it's got leaves. Now, is it the leaves that give the tree life? I'd say, no, I guess not. You know, the, the leaves are just a product of the life within the tree. The life within the tree produces the leaves and sometimes, quite literally, the fruits. <laughs> it produces the fruits that you see on the tree. And it's so interesting. We read through the Bible and we see these arguments or conversations that people are having. They're not too different than what we have today. One big topic was, how are people saved? You know, is it by works? Is it by faith? This. And they, they asked Jesus, how, how can you tell if someone's a real disciple? And he's like, you tell by their fruits. Just look at them. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. You can tell by their fruits. My wife was at the grocery store not terribly long ago, and uh, she's so good at interacting with the cashiers and such. And in one conversation, with them, it was a pleasant conversation, and Kelly looked at her and said, you're a Christian, aren't you? And she's like, uh, yeah, I am. How'd you know that? Like, I can just tell. That's what we're going for here. I look at the fruits of the Spirit, and I do the same thing I do with the Great Commission. I, I turn it into the, the to-do list of the spirit. You know, I see the different things and the man I want to be that has, uh, we see in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, etc. And I think, okay, I need to love. I want to love my wife better. I want to love my family deeply and love those around me. I need to work on love. Joy, I want to be joyful. You know, I want to, when people are around me, I want them to feel the joy that just exudes from me. I need to work on being more joyful. Okay, patience. I don't have time for patience this week. You know, I'll work on that next week. I, I, love and joy are too, too big right now. And I make this the, my to-do list of the Spirit, and I overlook what it quite literally says, even in English, in my Bible, that these are the fruits of the Spirit. And they come from your relationship with the Father and having that Holy Spirit work and bear fruits within you and through you. talking about spiritual disciplines for the, the rest of the year. And one of the reasons why I think it's so important, and I love this quote from Richard Foster. He writes a book about the spiritual disciplines. I'm sure he wrote many other books, but his most famous book is called Celebration of Discipline. And he says in this book, he says, the desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. we're gonna get serious about the mission of the church, we have to double down on our relationship with the Father because it is only through that that we see the fruits. What are spiritual disciplines? Again, we're not diving into any specifically, but he, uh, Foster, in this book, he narrows it down to 12, which I find pretty helpful. And of course, it's, this is not the Bible. This is not, these are not the only spiritual disciplines, but he lists things like meditation, prayer, fasting, and you can read the others on the screen. Some of these are very inward, just you and the Father. Some of these are with other people. Um, and some of these are corporate, 
what you do and what we even do here, you know, at, on Sunday mornings as a church body and what we do as a church body through the week as well. I love the definition of a spiritual discipline by Dallas Willard. He says, a discipline for the spiritual life is nothing but an activity undertaken to bring us into more effective cooperation with Christ in his kingdom. So get this, there, there are things that you're doing with you in the relationship with your father, like prayer and fasting, and yet he says, there's an activity undertaken to bring us into more effective cooperation with Christ and his kingdom. They're taking the things that you do with you and the Father and connecting it with our mission in the Great Commission. There's another book I, I really love uh, about spiritual disciplines. It's called An Invitation to a Journey by Robert Mulholland. And in that book, Mulholland said something I'll never forget. He dives deep into your relationship with the Father and uh, cultivating these disciplines of prayer and fasting, all things that you can do just between you and God, right? I mean, you can go into a closet and close the door and do these things. In fact, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount encourages us to do it that way, right? He says, when you pray, go into a room, close the door and pray to your Father who hears you. He says, when you fast, don't do it with trumpets and announcing it to everybody, but fast because the Lord knows what you're doing and he hears you. And Mulholland said, you know how to test if these spiritual disciplines are working? Here's how you test it. After six months or a year of really diving deep into these spiritual disciplines of prayer and meditation, etc., see if you're a little bit more loving to that family member that gets on your nerves. See if it's a little bit easier to forgive. See if you're a little bit more joyful when you're around others. And he's taking very specifically things that you do with your relationship with the Father and connecting it with the results, the fruits of with your interactions around everyone you're involved with. The connection is real and it comes from our relationship with the Father. Now, I wanna give just a few uh, bits of encouragement and a few uh, warnings as we start and we dive into with Craig leading us on the, all of these different spiritual disciplines, okay? A few pieces of encouragement and a few, few warnings. The first is um, stay focused on the relationship. Stay focused on the relationship. I really struggle with this. In my time with the Lord, oftentimes early in the morning, I struggle not making it again into another to-do list. You know, I've got my Bible reading plan. You know, I have the very specific things I want to do and how I want to meet the Lord. And, and uh, it's really hard for me to come with just no expectations and just be with the Lord. And in preparing for the sermon, I started to think about what if I treated my other worldly relationships in the same way that unfortunately I treat my relationship with the father sometimes. Hey, Zach, thanks for, thanks for meeting with me uh, today. I uh, kind, of, kind, of, kind, of, kind of have a lot going on. And uh, so in our conversation, I really need some encouragement, you know, from you. I really need that peace uh, that I believe that our relationship can help with. And uh, I've got 10 minutes to go. Oh, and by the way, I'm gonna do most of the talking. 
No, if we treated all of our earthly friendships like that, we wouldn't have any friends. <laughs> but you know that friend that you have that calls just to see how you're doing. That friend that cancels plans to be with you when you're going through a hard time. We need to stay focused on the relationship. Robert Mulholland, that same book I just referenced, he has a quote in there that says, a genuine spiritual discipline is a discipline of loving obedience offered to God with no strings attached. We have no expectations of how we want God to change us through it. We simply offer the discipline to God and keep on offering it as long as God wants to keep us, wants us to keep on. Stay focused on the relationship. The second encouragement slash warning combo I wanna give this morning is that spiritual disciplines are simple, but they're not easy. Okay, they're simple, but they're not easy. My dad says a joke uh, that goes, I'd lift weights a lot more if they weren't so heavy. <laughs> and I think that's pretty funny, but when I think about it more and more, I'm like, isn't that pretty true? Like we let, us, we let ourselves physically get out of shape and we have these excuses like, well, you know, gym memberships are kind of expensive or uh, I just don't have the time to work out. That's a big one for me. But I think if we're really, really honest, we don't wanna work out or we don't make the time to work out because lifting weights is hard and it hurts. But as every experienced weightlifter and professional athlete knows, that the real results come when you start feeling the burn. And our spiritual disciplines are no different. And I wanna encourage you, as we're talking about these spiritual disciplines for the rest of the year, maybe you're already doing some of those, try a few others. Maybe the ones that you're already doing, just like when you're working out, I think the same concept applies that what got you to this level is not gonna get you to the next level. You have to up the reps, you have to up the weight get to that place again where it's uncomfortable. Get to that place again where you're feeling the burn because that's how you grow and that's how you see the results. And just like in any relationship, you gotta start. You gotta take the time. And step by step, you will see your relationship with the Father deepen. I mean, the, the definition of discipline uh, we see the word discipline in spiritual disciplines, right? I mean, it kind of was like a, well, no duh moment when I read it. I'm like, oh yeah, discipline is not like the best word. <laughs> it, it's, this is one definition. There's several on there because we can use this word in several ways in the English language. But one of the definitions was control gained by enforcing obedience or order. Habits don't just pop out of nowhere, right? It takes this intentional time of enforcing this routine and this obedience in this order for it to become a habit and for it to really start to transform your life. When we allow spiritual disciplines to take us to those places of greater depth, loving others, loving God, and responding to the Great Commission and making disciples becomes so much more real. 
And it's so easy when we have someone in our life that's going through a hard time, we say, hey, Jesus is the way and you should come to church with me and look because there's this guy that comes up on stage and he can tell you how to, how to find Jesus. Let me introduce you to my pastor and he can tell you how to get through this hard time. But I love the illustration of disciple making where there's this man walking on a path, the path of life, if you will. He's walking down and he falls into this huge hole. And he's scared, he's trying to get out, and it's muddy, it's wet, it's dark, and he can't climb out. There's people that pass by, and some people hear his call for help, but they don't help. There's other people that do try to help. They hear his, they hear their, his cry, they reach down to try to help this man, uh, but they can't reach far enough. And so they keep going. And then finally, this man comes by, he hears this man, sees him in the hole, and he jumps down in the hole. Now the first guy's like, what are you doing? What are you thinking? I'm trapped down here. Now we're both stuck. And the second man looks at him and says, I've been in this hole before. Let me show you how to get out. When we let the spiritual disciplines take us deep with the Father, when we have someone who's going through a hard time, we can look at them and say, hey, buddy, I see that you're struggling. And I know everybody's struggles are different, but I've been in bad places too before. But I've learned to know and hear the voice of the, my Father in heaven who helps me. Let me show you how to hear it too. I'm excited for the rest of the year and I'm excited for me to continue to try to stretch myself along with you guys in these spiritual disciplines. And if you're still not sure where to start, I'll, show you the, I'll tell you the starting place for everybody. The starting place for everybody is you have to give God your whole heart. You have to give God your whole heart. I don't know if you've ever met several missionaries that say things like, you know, I would be the last person God would call to be a missionary and look what I'm doing now. Or I told God I would do anything but be a missionary and, and, and look what he called me to do. And for the longest time, as from a young child wanting to be a missionary, I heard this all the time from different missionaries and I never admitted it to quite a bit later, but that almost kind of bothered me, them saying that. And I think the reason why it bothered me because I was trying to be a missionary and figure out how this works. And yeah, I had a lot of good uh, short-term experiences and even like a year-long ones, but every time there was like a life, you know, long uh, opportunity to become a missionary, it seemed like God would always just close the door. Something else would pop up, close the door. I said, God, I, I wanna be a missionary, I wanna go for you. And it wasn't, and it was through a very long and painful process that I realized that I was saying the exact same things those missionaries were saying, just the opposite. You know, I said, God, hey, I, I won't, I'll do anything, but it's in my plan to be a missionary. God, I'll go anywhere in the world, but don't really wanna go back to Indiana. And it wasn't until lying on my face, crying, saying, God, finally just give it all to you. I don't need to be a missionary. I want whatever you have for my life. And of course, hindsight's 2020. 
everything from then on just started to kind of work out. Got connected with TCM, which is here back in Indiana, but it's an organization that's connected in missions all over the world, and I just could not have planned that calling for my life any better myself. And for the first time, I really felt like I started to understand what it means that we serve a jealous God. You know, I, I love the, the parable that Jesus says about how the shepherd left the 99 sheep to go out after the one sheep that was lost and bring him back. And in the same way, I believe that God goes after that one last piece of your heart that you haven't fully submitted to him. So be careful what that piece of your heart is because he's gonna go after it. For those missionaries, it was being a missionary. And for me, it was not. <laughs> but we serve a jealous God who loves us so much. And more than he wants you to be a great person, a great neighbor, a great dad, or husband, or wife even. God just wants you. He just wants you. He doesn't want part of you. He doesn't want 99% of you. He wants all of you. So I want to encourage you all today if perhaps your next step is to giving your whole heart to God because you haven't given any part of your heart to God yet and to make today the day that you do that. And maybe you were like me and you felt like you have given your whole heart to God. Ex keep examining your heart and say, God, is there that one last piece that I still haven't surrendered to you? And God, I surrender it all. Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you so much for pursuing us. I thank you so much for the Bible and giving us this uh, roadmap, knowing that Jesus first is our, our best example before any books on spiritual disciplines and, or anything like that. And those are helpful. But Lord, may you be our example in how to go deep with you. Let Jesus be our example. Lord, and through the rest of the year, as we're diving into these spiritual disciplines, I ask that just through the power of the Holy Spirit, you transform us. Transform us personally. Open our eyes to those that are around us, that we can make disciples as we are going. And Lord, move and work in power in this church so that we can step up and be deep people that help people, we help point people to you that they can better trust and follow Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray, amen.